Good morning, Arvid. Good morning. Morning, morning. It's lunchish. Lunch, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's just true. It's definitely not actually morning anymore. <laughs> There's a morning feel to it. Morning yeah. feel, yeah. Did you just invest a fair amount of money and lived in chaos for a week to put a door onto your office to keep your cat out only for the cat to just right now break back into your office. <laughs> yeah, so my office, and if you if you happen to be watching the YouTube video, then you'll see that there's a door behind me that didn't <laughs> used to be there. Uh, and I was just saying, like, this new feature has worked. It kept the cat out. And then immediately, as I said that, the cat barged his way in. So some, <laughs> some work to be done there. Um, yeah. But it smells like tuna in here, so maybe that's why. Did you did you keep tuna in there, or is that just your natural musk? <laughs> no, no, no. That's 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 lunch. That's that's lunch. That's lunch. Okay. Cool. Well, with the cat out of the way, yeah, ready to go. Cats out the bag. Let's go. Let's go. This is Product Internals, a podcast about getting started building platform products and scaling them while scaling yourself. I'm Arvid, and I'm here today and every day with my PM partner, Rob. How are you doing, Rob? Hi, Arvid. I'm doing doing pretty good. It's been a little bit of chaos, as you were just alluding to in the, the pre-episode, but uh, but happy that the week is almost done and that I get to talk to you now. Excited. How are you doing? Fantastic. Well, I'm good. We're, we're in the heights of the very first week of Swedish summer which uh, makes me even more excited about the the future prospects of a of an M1 processor in my next work computer because my current one is sounding like a jet engine uh, all day every day now <laughs> it's just like the the heat in this room raised to the point where it's it's throttling and it's so loud so apologies if that is actually coming through in this recording. Yeah, and that's funny because I remember we had technical difficulties at a presentation yesterday where you started and then your computer just overheated oh, and yeah. shut down. No, it just completely yeah. overheated and shut down. I had to kill yep. everything and start over. Yeah, that was fun with all, a whole bunch of managers from a different part of the organization listening. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. before we get started, I want to just do the, uh, the a little bit of admin that we have. Uh, yeah. So if you enjoy what you're listening to, we have uh, in we have to complement these conversations. We have a Substack blog, uh, which you can find at productinternals.com. And the plan is that after every conversation, we'll release a short one to two page or about two page blog post on on Wednesdays to uh, try to try to catch it in maybe a more coherent way. You can also reach us for feedback or to uh, discuss and debate some of the things we're talking about either on Twitter at uh, Product Internal. Or within uh, uh, by email at podcast at productinternals.com. And then lastly, if you like what you're hearing, then please follow us on Spotify. This is one of the KPIs that we're following. And we have 47 followers right now, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Sweet. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, exactly. Now you can almost visualize the audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's not yet at the point where it's intimidating. No. Uh, I mean... We will be lucky if we get there, but let's see. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, it's a luxury problem. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So with that out of the way, uh, last week we talked about the team, right? We've gone through a couple of the primitives, and last week we talked about the team, uh, the role that a PM plays, and how, in the absence of the PM or any other role, we can 
lean into other disciplines as core members of the team, or we can get support elsewhere to to make sure that we're not forgetting to think about things like data science or user research or product marketing or QA. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked as well about how uh one of the real values that you get from a PM is to have somebody checking in to make sure that what you're doing is having impact uh, to, and that you're learning from it so that you uh, take take the the things that you're building and make sure that it becomes a loop which feeds into each other. Yeah. And yeah, we got a question, some, didn't we? Yeah, somehow we managed to do the admin correctly over the last few episodes yeah. because we got our first question. Yeah, we got a great question from Hannes. And Hannes asks... If we're always looping in supporting roles in and out of our team when there's need, does that mean that we're perpetually onboarding? Yeah, and I think that that's something we just forget, forgot to sort of elaborate on what we meant with looping more people into the into the team when we need it. And uh, the way that we are solving it in our current teams, right, is that mm-hmm. we... Uh, when we need a user researcher, when we need a data scientist, we don't just pull any random user researcher or data scientist. But uh, we have collaboration partners that not just support our teams, but a few more teams, uh, just according to whatever bandwidth they have. And between collaborations, we make sure that we include them yeah. in the strategizing and in the like when we have our weekly product meeting within the product area, we make sure that the data scientist is there, that the user researcher is there, that the design lead is there. Yeah, exactly. And so that means that when we get to the point where we need user research support, they've already been in the room. Yeah, they're, they're already, already ramped up what... on the problems that we're talking about. It doesn't take an extra month to give them the context. No, and I think it's an important question because if you if you don't do it that way, then yes, you're going to be in perpetual onboarding. And I think that the the scary thing about that is not just that the outcomes are going to be bad, but I think that team members who may not have had user research support before are going to be start becoming very hesitant to ask for user research support because you really need someone who is already up and running for that to be a clear value add. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think like the way that we've done this by... By having our fantastic designer Elias working with us uh, uh, across the different teams and staying warm, he, he's now managed to work with several different engineers and, and include them in the user research as well. And that now they're starting yeah. to show some aptitude and interest for it. So uh, not only are we able to avoid perpetually onboarding by uh, continually working with Elias, but we are also giving the energy, uh, having the engineers start to show some interest and develop some expertise in here so they could step in if Elias is busy because we only have one Elias. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah. It's also like having depth in the collaborations when you collaborate is also a fantastic way to actively coach the engineers towards T-shaping into these roles. Yeah. Having them see user research be done well a few times makes it much more likely that they are going to apply those tools properly Yeah. when we ask them to do it when we don't have. Either when the question is not big enough or the the, the resource is not available. Then, yeah. yeah. Well, Hannes, I hope that answers your question. If you don't think it does, then please reach out and complain to us. We'll be happy to yes. talk to you more. 
please or do. anybody else a... who has further questions we we yeah we would be more than happy to uh and to answer them if we can yeah cool so that's all about history let's take a quick break and get into this week's topic Okay, let's get into this week's topic, the the meat of the show. Yeah, what are we talking about? Yeah, so we're still working through the primitives, right? We've been talking about audiences and product and planning and team. And now that you know who you're building for, you know the strategy and the aspirations, you, you have a product team that is eager to build something super awesome and you know that you have a good problem, so it's probably impactful. Now, what do we actually build? Yeah. Like there's there's having a great plan and then there's execution. Yeah, let's go do some like, stuff. How do you get started? Yeah. So like, I would say that the in, before you get started, you need to make sure that you have focused and, and chosen a problem that is a, that is a priority to solve. So you should, if you have a strategy or you have aspirations, you should be able to break this down and decide what is the most important problem for us to try to solve now. So, right. So that's step one. And that's sort of the elevator version of the planning episode we did two weeks ago. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at this point, as as product managers, we uh, we we need to be problem obsessed. We need to figure out how we can provide the most value. But we're not the ones who actually come up with the solutions, right? Yeah. So the step two there would be time to get the engineers involved and and figure out what we can actually build to to solve this most important problem, which you've now decided to focus on. Right. So this is when the word solution stops being taboo yeah. and starts being the thing we actually focus on. Yeah, but. The we here is not uh, Arvid and I as PMs. The we here is the product team. So yeah. at this point, with, with us painting the picture, being problem obsessed, making sure that everybody in the room, everybody in the team is thinking about how to solve the problem. And with that context, now we let the engineers go nuts and do what they do best. Right. And this is when... Are we done? Like, of course, we're not done, done. But me as a PM here, like we, I already did all the pre-work, right? Mm-hmm. I I gave them the like, like, refined uh, problem and I gave them the rationale for why this is the thing that we should be trying to solve right now yeah. rather than- So, so have, you, have you sort of washed your hands from responsibility at this point? You've done what you need to do? Is that what you're, what you're yeah. uh, suggesting? Which yeah. is, I mean- yeah. So no, <laughs> no, that, our responsibility doesn't end there uh, because it gets a lot more complicated than that. There, there is for for any problem, especially if we uh, don't propose any sort of any any type of solution towards solving it. There, there can be a very wide variety of the different ways that we can make progress on that problem, and yeah. that's where we continue to provide. We as PMs continue to provide value in this in this part. So I like to. And there's lots of different ways for how you can brainstorm solutions to these problems. But uh, I like to start with this and and bring the problem focus to the engineers and have them try to think about it unconstrained. So go kind of with like a diverge and converge style uh, 
brainstorming towards this problem solving, and then we mm-hmm. can start debating which of the different options or which of the different solutions might be might be the best way to do this. And and that's where I'm going to have some some input as well. Right, and in that brainstorming as well, like when you, when your problem statement hits the engineers, that's going to raise questions, right? Yeah, and it doesn't matter if your strategy was 15 pages or 150 pages, or if your roadmap items were incredibly detailed, you're going to get questions that you didn't already write the, down, write the answer down for. Mm-hmm. So there's clearly a role for you to, to still be the one that is the expert on the, on the problem, right? And the nuances of the problem. Yeah. And I think one of the important aspects of that uh sort of context providing role is that th- there's going to be some questions that they come to which are absolutely critical to uh making sure that the problem is solved there's going to be some which are closer to edge cases and there're going to be some that they, that you you don't believe matter actually so yeah. uh it's it's sort of up to the engineer's discretion to try to do what's best there because that that's not going to be the thing that makes or breaks if if you solve the problem yeah okay so we give them time and they brainstorm and plan and refine and end up with what they think is the ideal, elegant solution to mm-hmm. your post problem. Mm-hmm. That sounds nice. Um, so if you work on the right problem and the problem was arrived at by you planning really well, and you let the engineers find the optimal solution, then will you be on this unicorn team that always ship the perfect solution to the most impactful problem? <laughs> That's a pretty leading question, but of, of course it's not that simple. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, there, there's, um, we're going to get into a situation where like, even with like the best ideas, it, it might not always be possible to, to do that for, for some particular reason. So uh, I guess that, that brings us to the lesson. So if, the right way to solve the problem isn't possible to, for some reason, then you need to think about what compromises you might need to make. Mm. So today's lesson is, uh, is, is about the trade-off between best and pragmatic. And the best solution is actually the wrong solution if there is no pragmatic way to actually build it. So mm. uh, it's, it's very important to understand, but, but, but that doesn't mean that it's not important to think about what, what best or what optimal is. It's Understand what it looks like, and then make clear the trade-offs that we believe we need to make uh, in the name of, of pragmatism. So, reasons that we're going to be suboptimal because we need to do it because we need to do it faster, or because we don't have access to the, the technology, or because we don't have an expert in, or we don't we don't have someone who who's worked in a particular language or something like this. The reasons behind why we make choose to make these trade-offs are going to be critical, uh, not for uh, I mean, not for any reason that affects the product, but in terms of delivery, because we as product need to be aligned with the engineers on uh, why we're doing something which is, which is not optimal. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard to move forward. Yeah. Okay, so this is the this is the product variation of Mike Tyson's. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> is it the, like? <laughs> You had such a beautiful plan. You had such a beautiful design for a solution, and then suddenly reality hits. Yeah, and you actually need to care about things that are not just defined by the problem and the 
and the tech. Speaking of reality, maybe it would be good to oh, to throw an example in here. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you think of what is a good example? Maybe an example problem and a, an example doesn't need to be feasible, but example solution that we might come up with and that we can describe why we might choose something different. Okay, so I think uh, we can uh, return to one of our old uh, tried and proven examples. We we talked about uh, experimentation tooling and A/B mm -hmm. testing mm -hmm. tooling, uh, our first or second episode, and uh, the underlying problem there would probably be something around um, the the company needs to be able to determine what changes to the product is positive or negative for the end user mm -hmm. sort of as a as a rough statement yeah and an absolutely ideal solution to that one may not take into consideration that it's incredibly difficult like incredibly costly to build it mm -hmm. that it adds a lot of strain on the teams that are going to use the platform because it optimized for like statistical rigor and uh, perfect data capture rather than optimizing for how fast it is to run an experiment. Yeah, so tra trading off between how correct it is versus usability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does that fit your idea of this? Yeah, I, th I think so. So we, if, if we give the engineers the problem statement, which is we, we the company needs to be able to uh, to learn from the features they put out if they were actually a good, a good feature or a bad feature, uh, we need a good way of experimenting. And the engineers say, okay, here's all the theory behind how we statistically run proper experiments. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's build that into the platform. And then we say, okay, that's all well and good, but usability we're going to have to relax on the statistical rigor a little bit and and be willing to have some uh, inconclusive experiments because some some statistical edge case happens and we need to try it again. Is that yeah? Yeah. Because that, otherwise, yeah. like otherwise, shipping a feature is going to be half the work building the feature, half the work making sure that yeah. you jump through, through a billion hoops to make the the testing or the experimentation evaluation. Yeah, absolutely flawless. Nice. So I think I think this example works, and you've you've touched on one of the possible reasons why we might choose something which is uh, pragmatic but not but not optimal. Uh, can you think of some other constraints, like other reasons why we might choose something suboptimal? I mean, there's also, of course, like your problem is not the only problem that needs to be solved, right? Mm -hmm. um, so. This is very close to what I just said, but if if your solution conflicts with um, some other, perhaps larger, we've we've talked about the uh, the global objective function before, mm -hmm. uh, talking about the what do we optimize for broadly rather than what do we optimize for for locally. Uh, I think that that is likely one of the one of the places where this is going to be. Um, the most important trade-off. Yeah. So sort of the where, where a local optimization is actually become somehow becomes a global, uh, like something which would be optimal locally is actually suboptimal globally, in which case we're going to uh, do be suboptimal in uh, in our local, like building ex the experimentation platform maybe. Yeah. It's like if you say to the, to the engineers that like, we want you to uh, ship the most, like if you have a product catalog, 
uh, in a on a retail website, and it's possible to share uh, items mm -hmm. with your friends. Mm -hmm. Like if we if the problem statement is like we want to make it as easy as possible to find a good like to share a good find uh, to drive organic uh, discovery of our product. Like if you take the the absolutely if you optimize the product around that objective you're no longer optimizing for sales which is really what you should be optimizing for right you don't want to yeah, be you would you don't want to become a a product catalog sharing app that's not what you were you were a, you're you're a retailer so you want to sell things yeah exactly you, know, you don't a, want to like amazon doesn't want to be pinterest no exactly right? yeah yep that, um, ma that makes sense i i can bring up what i think are a couple of other like uh both obvious and uh, and frustrating constraints. Uh, time, mm. right? For yeah. maybe for the, maybe there's very good reason that we need to solve this problem in the next six months, and the optimal solution is far far too complicated than what can be accomplished in six months. Another, mm. uh, and, and I guess this kind of goes in the same realm is staffing. Um, it could it could be as simple as uh, like like I guess time and staffing can be related. Like if you have seven people working on a problem versus two, then the seven people can accomplish more. But mm. not all the engineers that you have working on your team are uh, necessarily experts in the same domain as well. So if we have uh, a problem which we we want to solve and that requires some backend engineering and some uh, some web and a web UI, and then we decide, you know, it would be really optimal if we made a native app to, to do this instead of trying to provide it with a web UI, but we don't have any mobile engineers yeah. that's working on our team it's it's not easy to uh to it, it i mean obviously hiring takes a long time so this could blow right through our time constraint but it it's also not easy for for engine most engineers can't just change disciplines drastically like that and still deliver something with quality um uh, of course like if, if you are one of these engineers then, then like i know that that you're out there and that you exist and you're awesome and i want to hire you but uh it's it's that's a hard thing and i think that that's a that translates from engineers to tech as well. Mm -hmm. Like you've already, just like you've invested in a set of capabilities uh, in your engineers, you're already probably pretty deeply invested in a tech stack that has certain capabilities. Yeah. Like it, it, it may turn out that like if you're a, if you're an AWS shop and you're running everything there, like the optimal solution may actually be something that runs on Azure, mm -hmm. and it's probably not going to be a feasible thing for you to like, yeah, let's actually jump to a different cloud to make this particular yeah. piece of feature development slightly better. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. And it brings me to kind of the next thing I wanted to say here. So we, we've talked about many different constraints that we might have, uh, wh whether it's staffing or time or uh, optimizing for like globally what is, what is important for the company or, or technical constraints. Um, but we don't need to hear these constraints and think of them as in stone. Now they like quite often they they can be they can be arbitrary. Like uh, like like if someone says you need to do this in six months, I'm never going to accept that as as the word of law. I'm going to try to understand: is there something special about six months, or is this just what whoever wh whoever proposed the project thought was reasonable? So you yeah. you can push back on these constraints. And and in the case that you're mentioning with um, Maybe something which is optimal on Azure, but we're a, a Google shop or an AWS shop. Maybe it's self-contained enough, or maybe it's important enough to do it in that way that that we can that that it's worth exploring. 
So yeah. identifying the constraints and the reasons why we might go suboptimal and then trying to challenge them to see if we can, uh, if maybe we could do it anyway is, is a good step at this point. Right. But regardless of, <clears throat> regardless of how we mitigate these, we're still gonna end up building something that took constraints into consideration and made trade-offs. Yeah. So what are the consequences of building something that wasn't the optimal solution? Yeah. So, so, so like you said, it's, I mean, like, like anything in engineering, at least in my opinion, it's, it's a trade-off and very rarely are we going to be choosing something which is, is better in all different aspects. There's going to be time, like there's going to be cases where we're sacrificing, um, sacrificing one, one thing for another thing. Uh, so, and, and the consequences could be, uh, of course, they depend on, on what it is that we sacrifice. But the, the trick here is to understand and accept upfront what the consequences might be. So, uh, in the let, let's let's use the example where we we build a web UI. Uh, this means mm -hmm. that we, as opposed to choosing to build a native Android iOS app, this means that we're going to suffer from uh, discovery on this UI because it can't be found in the Play Store. So uh, maybe there's going to be some metrics that we uh that we know are going to be not as good as they could be and depending and, and like when we accept that up front we can measure that and we can try to see like maybe we could do some estimation for what it could be had we gone that route and then it can evaluate later if it makes sense to put a native app on top of it um right can you think of other examples so, maybe i was just going to say that it's uh, that means that if you did your job correctly in inventorying the constraints mm -hmm. then at this point you should feel pretty okay about this mm -hmm. like sure we're not discoverable in the app store but we knew that yeah. when we made the choice to accept that constraint yeah and uh, we feel pretty confident that not being in the like being in the app store is not going to make us as much as it would cost us to staff a team with uh, mobile client engineers to build a native app yeah, and be however long it took to do that late like, oh yeah like the if it yeah. takes six months to staff the team and then another three months to build it that means that we release nine months later and maybe that's maybe the like the problem of not being discoverable in the app store is absolutely not worth those nine months yeah so what where do you go with the things that you traded off does everything become does everything become tech health or future roadmap items or how do you reason around that yeah i guess i guess it depends the the biggest thing like like i mentioned in the in the main lesson is that we need to be clear between between the between product and and engineering who are the ones building it what these mm -hmm. trade-offs are so that way we don't continuously debate if we're doing the wrong thing we we yeah. need to say that we uh, you know, we know this is not optimal. We're doing, we're choosing to do it because of this reason. Uh, we're making some assumptions that this reason that like that that's okay, uh, and then we should be able. And and then even if they don't necessarily agree, that's the right way forward. We we should be able to disagree and commit, and then and then ship something. So that's thing one. Yeah, Make that, sure that we're aligned between product and tech on these differences. That agreement is so critical to the to not get stuck in some sort of like progression like progress paralysis yeah. like i've seen that so many times where we kind of agree that it's the right trade-off 
but we're sad enough about having to make that trade-off yeah. that we don't kill the conversation and yeah. we get stuck in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, our uh, Gustav Soderstrom, the the what's it called, CPO, Chief Product Officer. I don't know his exact title. I should of Spotify. He likes to say all the time, "Talk is cheap, so let's do more of it." And yeah. uh, that that absolutely is great. And I think that applies really nicely to talking about where we should be on these trade offs. But that doesn't mean to have the same conversation over and over. So <laughs> once no. you, once you do talk about these trade offs and you decide, you know what, this is where we're going to be on this trade off. Uh, Make, do the disagree and commit thing, move forward. But then step two is recognize that uh, you chose to make that trade-off based on assumptions and periodically check in to see if those assumptions turned out to be true or way off. So mm. so back to the example with uh, not using a web interface instead of a native app. If you say, you know what, we're going to sacrifice some discoverability in order to launch earlier with the web UI and then no one is discovering your product at all, and you have like <laughs> a, like a fraction of the of the uh, like of, of the interest that you that you were expected to. You better recognize that soon, or you're dead in the water. Yeah, that's such an important thing. Like, if you misassessed the cost of the trade-off, yeah, or if there's any reason, like any meaningful amount of uncertainty associated with that trade-off you better test that yeah. or validate that. Now, I, I would go one step further and say, there's always uncertainty. You're almost never going to be 100% sure that you're making the right call here. So so call yeah. it what it is. We don't really know. We, we're making some assumptions. We have some data which suggests that this is the right thing to do and, and check on it. Check on it on a regular basis. Make sure you figure out when you're wrong as fast as you can so you can, you can adapt. Another aspect, yeah. and, and we, could, we could go on for a long time talking about talking about trade-offs but uh if the decision you're making is a two-way door then it's uh, and by that i mean that you can you can reverse it if you're wrong very easily then going in some direction so that way you can make progress is far more important than making sure you make the right decision because then you can measure yeah. and you can test but if the choice you're making is aws or azure and you need to sign for three years yeah then test first and choose after yeah and that, that makes a big difference um, yeah, so I guess that brings us to, uh, to, to try to summarize the things that we, that we talked about here. Uh, th this is one of the, what I find a really interesting parts of the product job, especially coming from mm -hmm. engineering, where you're always trying to make sure that you're, what you're building is the best. If you can optimize it, let's optimize that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then in product, it's like, yeah, but we have to ship in three knots. So <laughs> how, how are we going to do that? So, yeah, exactly. So the first aspect or the first that I would say here is, to start by understanding the challenge or understanding the constraints that you're operating within when you're trying to build something and uh, and, and challenge those constraints. Try to figure out why you're making a, uh, making a decision that would be suboptimal and, and figuring out if that's a real constraint or not. Hmm. Then uh, once you've understood what these are, make sure that you and like product and tech are aligned on why you're making these trade-offs. Uh, so that way you like you had lots of discussions, but you don't have the same discussion over and over again, and you can focus on shipping. And then third, recognize that all these trade-offs you're making in the face of uncertainty and assumptions, and that means that you can be wrong. So talk about that up front. Make sure you check in on the assumptions. And if you're wrong, learn it as fast as you can, call it out so you can move forward. Yeah. And in that, between your two last points here, yeah, when you're 
um, when you're identifying your trade-offs, um, differentiate between the the trade-offs that have massive impact on your future choices, mm -hmm. even if they are two-way doors, mm -hmm. and the ones that are basically just gonna like affect the nuance of your of what you build. Yeah. So you make sure to validate the big impact assumptions early. Yeah. Yeah, the, the way that I like to reason around that is uh, making sure that the, the next step in the strategy is to learn. So yeah. it's build the thing, then learn. Learn is obviously very fluffy, but then but then that will inform what the, the future strategy is going to be based on based on how that went, if you were right. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about sort of testing methods and uh, like product discovery, sort of user testing methods. But I think to your example about the web versus mobile native, mm -hmm. uh, if it's something that you realize perhaps even before you hired your team, yeah, like maybe you're about to hire a team and you get to choose if you're going to staff a mobile developer team or a web developer team, mm -hmm. then try it. Like there's like a great example here. Like the we have the thing we call painted door tests, right? Mm. Which is you check how many people try to to open a door, uh, but there's really nothing behind it. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it would be just like create the simplest possible sign up for your product on the web and ship the simplest possible. Like uh, pay someone. Uh, to spend two hours building a mock iOS product and put it in the App Store to see how many people search for it, how many people discover the web app. Yeah. Is the assumption correct that there's a negligible amount of discovery happening in the App Store? Yeah. Or can you identify already that this was a crucial decision? Yeah. And if you go about that, like if you go about the massive, massively impactful assumptions in that way, way less likely to to have built something all the way to almost production worthy before you start realizing that fundamental assumptions were wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously with the painted door test, there, there is risk, but uh, uh, like you, you could have some customers who go there and are very disappointed they downloaded a mock app, but, but, that, but yeah. that's like risk that you need to plan for and need to be ready to accept. Yeah. yeah. And in the case of an internal app, if you paint the doors, and uh, internal users oh, yeah. that, that, that uh, discover your product. You can, yeah, it's very low risk. You buy them coffee and they're happy again. If it's an external facing app, you probably had a hundred people knock on the painted door and there's millions of people out there. So don't be afraid to run yeah. tests. And we can actually, we're, we're, we're walking the walk a little bit here because as we built this, uh, as we put together this podcast, we thought, you know what, maybe we might want to complement it with the blog. We bought a domain, and then we uh, and we hooked it up to some sub to a Substack, which then gives us traffic data. Yeah. So we said, okay, productinternals.com, you go check it out, uh, and then we're going to have some blog posts there. But there's no blog post yet. But we were able to see that we had almost a hundred visitors from people yeah. listening to this and then going to it. So okay, yeah, you know what? There is appetite for to have these blog posts. So now, so now we do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. This was fun. I think this is a yeah. This is one one of my favorite parts of the job is trying to yeah. figure out how how what what the sub like the trade offs are. Everything is trade offs. 
yeah and it's also like the it's the the hidden part of the job yeah. and it's the not all that well mentioned in the books part of the job yeah but still it takes up so large a share of the time spent yeah and and i i remember joining joining spotify or joining anywhere you'll you'll find some systems to try to understand the architecture you'll try to understand the design decisions and understand why they are the way that they are and these trade-offs mm. like explaining these trade-offs is the is the answer to that so the like the reasoning behind these trade-offs especially if you keep with them the, this lives on and uh like yeah understanding why yeah. you're making them documenting them getting people spun up on on them checking on them changing them is is so incredibly important yeah so much of the details of the of the problem and the solution is yeah in those docs so before we go i want to just repeat the admin again so uh, if you like this podcast, if you're enjoying what you're hearing so far, please follow us. This is a KPI that we're measuring. Uh, if you have feedback, if you want to ask a question that maybe we can answer, just like Hannes, uh, reach out to us on either Twitter at Product Internal or at podcast at productinternals.com. And the blog that I just shamelessly plugged, uh, if you want to read something which is maybe a little bit more coherent than the way we're talking about it, uh, in written form, then, then go to productinternals.com and, and subscribe, and uh, you'll get an, an article that is um, ab about this topic on Wednesday and then every Wednesday after that. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. That's a wrap for today, right? Yeah. Great. Thanks, Arvid. Have, cool. have a good afternoon. Thank you. You too, and have a good weekend. Yeah, bye. Bye.